series, getting very close to uh, that ultimate and greatest hero of our faith, of course, our Savior Jesus, and is coming at Christmas, and we're up to Esther this morning. I'm going to read several verses right in the middle of the book, and I'm going to read them pretty much out of context, but then we'll go back and and you'll see and understand what's up with those verses. Uh, Chapter 4, verses 12 through 14 is our scripture reading. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to this royal position for such a time as this. I'm going to share a story with you this morning. It's a true story. It's about a beautiful girl who becomes a queen. It's about a powerful king. It's about a really evil man. And there's also a person who reminds us of Jesus Christ because throughout the story, the good of his people was always on his mind. Although God's name is not mentioned once in the entire book of, the, of Esther in the Bible, yet the story is all about God. And it tells us about the beautiful and often surprising ways God works all things out to bring about his good purposes. And it assures us, this story, that God is at work working his good purposes in our lives today, too. And we need to know that. That's important. Xerxes was king of the Medes and Persians. One evening, after drinking way too much at a great banquet, he commanded his wife Vashti to come in before all the drunken men and show off her beauty. She refused. The king steamed with anger, and all of his advisors agreed, you've got to get rid of her. If other wives hear of this rebellion against her husband, Our kingdom will fall apart. We've got to keep our women in line. And so Vashti was no longer queen. To find a new queen, the king held an empire-wide beauty contest. The women who entered would receive 12 months of beauty treatments before they could appear before the king. They'd be pampered with perfumes and cosmetics, and oil of myrrh, their skin would be glistening by the end of it. Lovely Esther entered the contest at the encouragement of her older cousin named Mordecai. Mordecai was a person in and around the court. He and she were Jews. The Jews were generally not liked in the empire, and so they kept Esther's nationality a secret. Well, we learn that Mordecai entered Esther into the contest, especially keeping in mind the advantage it could be for their people, the Jews, to have one of their own rise so high in position as to be queen of the whole empire. Well, 
The king was attracted to Esther more than anyone else, and so he placed the queen's crown on her head. About the same time, Mordecai, who hung around the court, he overheard a conspiracy to kill the king. He shared it with Esther, who is now queen. She told her husband, and the king was saved from this assassination attempt. Also, right around this time, a really despicable sort of snake of a guy named Haman, somehow he became second in command under King Xerxes. Because he was so high up, everyone was ordered to honor Haman, and what everyone would do is they'd bow down to him whenever he passed by. Except for one guy around the court, Mordecai. Day after day, Mordecai refused to give Haman honor. And when he was asked why, Mordecai indicated that he was a Jew and that he feared God alone. Though Haman had everything going for him, Mordecai's lack of respect really bugged him. He became obsessed about the fact that this one guy wouldn't bow before him. And and when he learned what Mordecai had said, that he was a Jew, he was so obsessed, he, he looked for not only a way to get rid of Mordecai, but to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews throughout the whole kingdom. Other people liked the plan because the Jews were generally hated anyway. Well, Haman convinced the king to give approval for a decree for people everywhere to rise up and kill all the Jews on a certain day. This was going to be a little bit down the road. The plan included seizing all of the Jews' possessions, and, and money after the mass murder, that would help offset the loss of taxes after killing off so many citizens of the empire. They were thinking all this through. And here we have to remember when we hear about this plot, this plan, we have to stop and remember that we're, we're in the Old Testament. And, and that means at this time, the Jews were still God's special people. That's how it was working in the Old Testament. And so... When we read all this in the Bible, we know what this means is God's people were in danger. The people out of whom the Messiah, Jesus, was to come. The one promised to crush the head of the serpent. These particular Jews, by the way, shouldn't even have been here in this situation. They were in that land in the first place from being exiled. We talked about the exile the last couple weeks. But at some point, they were allowed to all go back to Israel. But all kinds of them didn't go because they had gotten really comfortable where they were. They were doing business. They were raising their families. They were kind of settled in. But they were living in disobedience to God by not going back to the land of their forefathers to serve and worship God there. That was God's plan for them in that period of salvation history, that God's people the Israelites, be in the land of Israel, and from there they were to be a light shining to the nations. These Jews were resisting that, and yet despite their disobedience, we're going to see God's hand was still on them, and he was still orchestrating events to save them. Mordecai, when he heard about this plan, he wanted Esther to go to the king and convince him to stop the plot. 
But Esther was scared, and understandably so. She had hidden from the king that she was a Jew. And who knows, he might be in a bad mood that day and decide just to kill her. Kings could do that. They were very fickle. Mordecai tried to convince her, though, and as he said in our text, if she didn't help, he was sure help would arise from some other place to save their people. But that she should consider if perhaps she had risen to this royal position for such a time as this to save her people. And with that, Esther was convicted to step up. She asked the king for a dinner with him, Xerxes and Haman, but she didn't bring up the matter just yet. She was maybe trying to get the king in a good mood, some good food and and a little wine and all that. So she said, let's have another dinner the next night. After that first dinner, Haman was on cloud nine. A great banquet with just him and the king and queen. But then, on his way home, that bugger Mordecai, he passed him. And Mordecai, of course, didn't acknowledge him, didn't bow down, and he was filled with rage. And when he got home, he called his wife and all his close friends. He bragged about his wealth. He bragged about his position. He told them about this special banquet where only he was invited with the king and queen. But he said, I'm still not happy. I just get so frustrated every time I see that guy Mordecai. His wife had an idea. She said, honey, why not have, what if you have a special gallows built to hang Mordecai on when that decree to kill the Jews gets enforced? Maybe knowing that he'll be the first one to die will make you feel better. And it sure did make Haman feel better. Haman was delighted with this idea. He had the gallows built. He went to bed that night and he slept like a baby. That very same night, the king couldn't sleep. He did what he usually did when he couldn't sleep. He had the annals of the kingdom of the Medes and Persians read to him. Probably to help him, pretty boring stuff, just a listing of everything that happened in the kingdom. But what just happened to be read that night was the report of that earlier assassination plot, the one that Mordecai uncovered. And and Xerxes heard that, and, and he said, you know, there's no record of this guy being rewarded for his service to the kingdom. And they said, no, you're right. He never was rewarded. And so the king decided to grant a reward to Mordecai. And the next morning, he calls in his trusty second-in-command, Haman, to get his advice. And he said, Haman, what should I do for the man I would delight to honor? Haman, of course, assumes the king is referring to him. Who else would the king want to honor but me? he thought. And, and so he came up with this elaborate idea. This man should wear a robe that the king has worn. The man should ride a horse the king has ridden. And then one of the king's most noble princes should lead him through the streets of the city, calling out, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. The king said, 
go at once. Get the robe and horse and do just as you suggested for Mordecai the Jew. Don't neglect to do anything that you've recommended. Haman's heart sank. He felt sick. But he did it. He rushed home to his wife and friends afterwards, totally embarrassed, whining about all that had happened. While he was still talking to his wife about his bad day, the king's attendants came to pick him up for the second dinner. And his day was about to get a lot worse. Because that night, Esther brought up her request. She said, O king, please spare my people. Someone has plotted to destroy and slaughter them. And she even very humbly said this, if we were merely going to all be sold as slaves, I, wouldn't, I would have kept quiet and I wouldn't have bothered you about this. But the reality is we're going to be wiped out from, because of this decree. The king was very upset to hear about this. Who is responsible for this, he said. The queen said, this vile man, Haman. Haman was terrified. He didn't know Esther was a Jew. And in anger, the king didn't even have anything to say at first. He, he stormed off into the palace garden. And while he was gone, Haman stayed behind to beg Esther for his life. And what he did is he, he fell down on the couch where Esther was reclining because that's how they ate. He fell on her couch begging her for mercy. And that's, of course, right when the king walked back in. And he was furious. He said to Haman, and now you're trying to do inappropriate things with my wife? Take him away. Then a king's attendant told him that they discovered Haman had prepared a gallows to hang Mordecai, the man who had earlier helped the king. Hang Haman on that gallows, said the king. And they did. Then Esther told the king that Mordecai was related to her, and the king gave Haman's estate and his position and power to Mordecai. Because a law that was sealed with the king's ring could not be rescinded among the Medes and Persians, the Jews were saved by the king writing a new law allowing the Jews throughout the empire to rise up, to mobilize, to defend themselves. And so the Jews, God's people, were saved. So many ironic turns of events in the story of Esther. So much unexpected. You would never guess that things would turn out the way they did. As beautiful as Queen Esther was to win the crown over so many other beautiful women, God's providence stands out as even more beautiful and more amazing in the story of Esther. And the reality is we've seen God's hand, his providence, his guiding care again and again and again in our Heroes of the Faith series. And then we look at Jesus' birth, which we celebrate this season. Talk about unexpected turn of event. A baby would be coming to save the people from their sins. 
and a baby born in a barn? No one would have expected that. But that's what happened. And then you think of the ultimate surprise at the cross. Christ's enemies thought they finally had him. They would finally be done with him. But the exact opposite happened. In Jesus' weakest moment, his death, which we commemorate today in the supper, that was the greatest triumph of all, for he went to death and the grave to rise again in three days and defeat sin and evil and to bring life. No one would have expected that to happen as the cross happened. God, friends, continues to work this way in the church, in history, in your life and in my life. The great reformer John Calvin, referring to the life of Joseph, he talks about the winding road of God's providence. The winding road of God's providence in our lives through all the details of our lives, the ups and the downs. God is working for our good and He's working for His glory. Brothers and sisters, that is something to celebrate to give thanks and praise to our God for. And that's something to rest our lives in. We wonder, how are things going to turn out? How will this ever get solved in my life? How will this ever get figured out in my family's life? The Bible tells us that God is working it all out. We're just called to faithfully live for him. Esther was scared. Esther had no idea how it would all work out. But her call wasn't to worry about all that. It was simply to step up where she was and follow the Lord. And you know what? God took care of her. And God took care of all the rest. God is weaving together all things at this very moment, as we speak, in beautiful and in surprising ways that we can't even imagine, his coming and his atoning sacrifice that we celebrate this morning guarantees that. Put your faith in him today, would you? Believe and be assured that he's working out all things on the winding road of your life too. May the knowledge of all of this, and even more than that, may the knowledge of our faithful God bring you great joy and hope and peace this Christmas season and all the days of your life. Amen.